Hello, it's Kamish here uh, for another episode of Kamish's Corner. Uh, thank you so much for bearing with me on the delays uh, regarding my travel and, and getting back to normalcy after heading up to Idaho to enjoy the, the fabulous city of Pocatello, which I, I enjoyed tremendously. So I am back with another episode of Kamish's Corner. I believe this is episode nine. I have not verified that. If it's incorrect, you can dub it something else in Jordan or just leave it because, you know, you love when I make mistakes. So I appreciate that. Um, so again, thank you so much for being a patron um, associated with the Sickos Committee. And I'm here to, to do something a little bit different. Typically, I, I've been going over old Sicko seasons, but I, I wanted to change it up a bit because, you know, Commission's Corner, uh, you, you can only just do some season re in reviews uh, every now and then. And we got a season ongoing right now. So it, it's, it's weird to review a season while we have one ongoing. It feels more of an off-season thing. But uh, this one, I got, I got a... A special subject, uh, one from um, from the past of college football, and I, I will go into it a little bit further here, but I just want to give you present day college football. So we know nowadays it is, is an extremely common occurrence that a punter associated with any NCAA team, Division One, FCS, something like that, it's very common that there's a punter from Australia <laughs> on your team. Uh, it, it's, it's it's almost becoming an occurrence that if you don't have a punter from Australia, it, it's a little bit different. You're like, whoa, that's weird. It's, it's kind of just like now, you know, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but like, you know, it, it feels like most people have tattoos. Uh, and you've, if you don't have a tattoo now, uh, you, you kind of feel like you're in the, uh, the, the minority, which... It's almost the case for the Australian punters here, the minority. This season in 2023, 61 of the 133 FBS teams have Australian punters on their roster. So we're, we're looking at nearly half, almost half uh, of, of FBS, like by one team short, essentially of half, have an Australian punter. Uh, based on the roster, roster, according to Pro Kick Australia, which, you know, that's the school in Melbourne that, that converts Aussie rules football players and some rugby players into punters for the American football game. You know, right now, the Australian punters have won a, a six Ray Guy awards, which I'm still working to try to get a vote for that, which would be great. Both punters in the national championship game last year between Georgia and, and TCU were Australian. Uh, this season, 12 of the 14 teams in the SEC carry Australian punters. Uh, and then also in the Big Ten, eight out of the 14 teams in the Big Ten this year have Australian punters, plus a, a ninth list of punter from New Zealand. So you can kind of count that a little bit. They're close, but you know, not necessarily that. It doesn't really account for the Australian thing. And I, I'm sure that will upset all our uh, New Zealand listeners that we have to the, on this podcast and, and our Patreon, which I, I don't I have no idea how many would be from New Zealand, but I, I don't want to anger you, New Zealand. You're awesome at rugby. Uh, among other things. So I want to go back in time to the beginning of college football. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about the late 1890s. So in, in the 1890s, there was a, a really, really famous Australian punter, and he was nicknamed the Kangaroo Kicker. So his real name was Pat O'Day. Pat O'Day was the, the kicker, uh, the starting kicker for the Wisconsin Badgers. So all the way in 1898, from Australia, and he made made his way to Wisconsin, uh, and was the punter and in in really an incredible superstar back in the day on those Badgers teams. So I have a couple of different uh, you know material for this podcast here. I want to give a shout out to Dave Revzine, I believe, or Revzin. 
is of the Big Ten Network. He has a, a book called The Opening Kickoff, has a really good chapter on the kangaroo kicker. Also want to give some shout outs to the uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison archives, uh, which this is basically where I got most of the information from. And I, I'll just go into it from here because, you know, you got a nickname like the kangaroo kicker. You really, really got to know and, and dig into something like this, which is incredibly, you know, sickos because really um, we, we love stuff like this, like weird stuff in college football history. That That is our thing. That is our niche and and we love it we love the weird stuff it is uh incredible so um without further ado i'm just going to read a little bit from the wisconsin archives here and then i got some information from wikipedia too so pat o'day his his full name was patrick john kangaroo kicker o'day uh he was an aussie rules and american football player and coach an aussie by birth he played australian rules football for the melbourne football club in the victorian football association in 1898 and 1899, O'Day played football for the University of Wisconsin, where he excelled in the kicking game. Uh, he then served as head football coach of the University of Notre Dame from 1900 to 1901, then the University of Missouri in 1902. And then finally, uh, his last head coaching stop was for the uh, Kurtzville Osteopaths. Shout out to the uh, Kurtzville Osteopaths, which I believe is now known as A.T. Still University in Kurtzville, Missouri. So uh, if I have that wrong, I apologize for that. But this is what my research led me to. I, I hope it is accurate. So more than a century ago, one of the earliest Badger football stars kicked his way into college sports history. But the story of the kangaroo kicker is not simply about statistical achievement. It is a tale of fame, reinvention, and homecoming. So his most famous thing that launched him into stardom was on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 1898. Uh, the Badgers beat up Northwestern 47-0, which, I mean, could essentially happen nowadays, too. Uh, Pat O'Day drop-kicked a 62-yard field goal in a snowstorm. Just going to leave that there. He drop-kicked. So if you don't know what a drop-kick is, basically he drops the ball on the ground, lets it hop slightly off of the ground, and then just boots the crap out of it in a, in a snowstorm, too. So, I mean... Just the legendary kick in that situation here. And this wasn't like a normal like setup for a field goal drop kick or anything like that. He was behind the center, 12 yards behind his center, six, over 60 yards away from the goalpost. He waited for the snap. It was a seemingly ordinary moment very early in a seemingly ordinary football game. The Wisconsin captain called out the signals, 9-10, and the lanky Australian yelled, 9-10. His teammates looked at him incredulously unbeknownst to the Northwestern players in the 3,000 or so fans looking on Pat O'Day. He was about to make history. So here's a little background before like the, he, he signals out this 9-10. Slam Anderson, which was a player on the Wisconsin team, didn't believe what he had heard. As one of the two ends for the Badgers, his duties changed significantly depending on O'Day's signal call. On a punt, Anderson's job was to race down the field as fast as he could, in an effort to tackle the opponent's return man. On a drop kick, Anderson would stay in, blocking the opponent's rusher, in order to give O'Day time to get his boot off. Yes, he knew that O'Day had called out a signal for a drop kick, but he also knew that it was a preposterous notion. The Aussie was 60 yards from the goal. No one in the history of the game had ever converted a drop kick from further than 55 yards out. Anderson was convinced that O'Day had simply misspoken, and he sprinted down the gridiron at the snap. 
That decision nearly doomed the play to failure. When the Aussie caught the ball, he almost immediately had a Northwestern rusher in his face, in a prime position to block the kick. It was the man Anderson had neglected to block. O'Day avoided him with a quick sidestep move, let the ball bounce, and simultaneous with it hitting the ground, made the perfect contact with his right foot, resulting in a mighty drop kick. The ball flew more than half the length of the field on an awe-inspiring arc, seemingly on a collision course with the grandstand behind the north goalpost. It sailed squarely between the posts and over the fence that lined the field, landing easily 10 yards beyond the goal line, just in front of the stands. O'Day had booted it at least 210 feet. In a game where lengthy kicks were celebrated, the way that long runs or passes are today, this was the single most remarkable football play anyone in attendance had ever witnessed. The initial reaction of was one of stunned silence. That bewilderment soon turned into an orgy of sound. Wisconsin fans hugged one another and threw their hats in the air. The game umpire, Everett Wren, himself somewhat astonished, signaled a goal. The only person in Evanston who didn't seem phased by the achievement was O'Day himself, who perhaps was eager to get on with a now-assured champagne feast called on his team to assumble at midfield for the ensuing, ensuing kickoff. The early 5-0 lead quickly ballooned as the Badgers went on to win 47-0. So yes, field goals were worth $5, uh, 5 points, not $5. <laughs> they were worth 5 points. Uh, the Milwaukee Sentinel led its entire paper with a bold front-page headline in the leftmost column blaring, O'Day kicks a 60-yard goal. Just to the right was a story deemed the second most important of the day, announcing, announcing that the Spanish cabinet had authorized the signing of the peace treaty that would end the Spanish-American War. So this kick was more popular than the end of the Spanish-American War, according to the Milwaukee Sentinel. So just phenomenal. Uh, the Sentinel praised not just Odell's foot, but his all-around game, declaring in another headline in the same paper, O'Day played the game of his life. The tall young man from Australia shone brilliantly in every play. The paper report. He repeatedly saved his men from the exhausting work of the line by bucking his famous long punts. He mixed in every scrimmage as he has never done before. He sprinted around the ends for several long runs of 40 yards or less, which is weird to say that in the paper. It should be 40 yards or, or, or more, but just weird phrasing in old papers. He tackled low and hard and interfered well for his running mates. O'Day was preeminently the star of the big Thanksgiving game. The Chicago Tribune described O'Day's performance as miraculous. Continuing, everyone figured O'Day would work havoc with the chances of the home team, but that he would do such phenomenal punting and drop kicking as that which electri electrified the crowd was beyond the wildest dreams of his most ardent supporters. The Duluth News Tribune put it more succinctly, just typing, Pat O'Day is king. O'Day's kicking style was an unusual one. When he made contact with the ball, he did so with both of his feet off the ground, appearing to almost jump at the pigskin. He did this on both on punts and drop kicks, that now obsolete form of kicking in which a player would bounce the ball off the grass and kick it on its way back up. Though place kicks played a minor role in the game, drop kicks were typ the typical way to convert the goal. Also, his weird 
form by leaving you know the ground with his, his just his two feet probably helped get that nickname the kangaroo kicker so when oday actually originally came uh to madison it, it was essentially to surprise his brother andy who was a crew captain and assistant football coach uh, Andy convinced his brother Pat to enroll at uh, Wisconsin rather than return to Australia. And according to legend, O'Day was invited to join the football team after punting back an errant ball during practice in front of the armory. So essentially, just just absolutely ridiculous. So he didn't know anything about American football rules. O'Day quickly became the center of the Badger offense. Um, I love how this is like the stereotypical Hollywood thing where like the ball gets out of the the practice field. And then, you know, instead of like the person, like, you know, miraculously throwing it back. And then the coach is like, wow, he's got an arm. It, it was like, wow, this kid can punt. <laughs> God, I love this stuff, man. It's so great. Um, so after this kick, like his fame was just off the charts, like across the headlines everywhere. It was it was ridiculous. Even even the referees in that game told the Chicago Times Herald that he knew of no performance on the gridiron equal to O'Day's wonderful dropkick goal from the 60-yard line. It almost took his breath away to see him try it. I had never heard of the goal being made from any distance within 10 yards of this new record. O'Day's postgame comments were consistent with his on-field demeanor. I was not surprised at all at making the goal. Uh, though there was certain, certainly plenty of newspaper ink spilled regarding Michigan's 12-11 win over the Maroons, O'Day's kick made headlines nationwide and gained the attention of the Eastern establishment. At the end of the 1898 season, the Aussie was one of the first Westerners ever named to the All-American team. The legend of the kangaroo kicker was born. So we have the kangaroo kicker. I know this is kind of a little bit out of sorts and everything like that, but I was trying to compose this podcast to, to try to do like back and forth, back and forth a little bit. And this is where the story gets a little, a little crazier. He gains this giant fame as the kangaroo kicker. Um, he's done with his playing career. He goes on to be the head coach at Notre Dame. Uh, he leads Notre Dame to a 6-3-1 record in 1900. He leads Notre Dame to an 8-1-1 record. So he was 14-4-2 in his two years at Notre Dame. Uh, he then went to Missouri, one year Missouri, uh, with the Tigers, five and three, uh, and then he he finished his his coaching career as a, a coach of the Kirksville Osteopaths. If I can find a logo of the Kirksville Osteopaths, you better believe we're gonna bevel it. Uh, definitely gonna be done here, which was which was very strange. He's just done after that. Later in his life, once he was done coaching in Kirk, from Kirksville, Missouri. He moved to San Francisco and trained some school children, uh, resulting in the uh, adoption of the field kicking game known as field ball by the San Francisco Public Grammar School. So he's kind of spreading Australian rules football. Uh, he disappeared from public view in 1917, and he decided that he did not like being treated as a celebrity. Uh, he was tired of being the kangaroo kicker, and he just basically disappeared out of public sight in 1917. So just totally disappeared. I am tired of my life being known as an awesome punter. You know, 110-yard punts because the fields were 110 yards back in those days. That could, you know, the drop kick heard round the world uh, from Thanksgiving 1898. Just like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I, I am just completely done with this life. I am, I cannot be this celebrity punter. 
just imagine if we're around, uh, we, he could never disappear from us totally. So he disappeared from public sight and he became a hermit. Basically his biography gets very foggy after 1904. It was alleged that he went to San Francisco, but he disappeared from the public life. And then rumors were abound that he secretly joined the Australian army, including his brother that was up there in Wisconsin. And it was believed that he was killed in World War I. So he joined the Australian army and the kangaroo kicker passed away fighting World War I, the Great War. However, that was not the case. When his college days were passed, Mr. O'Day settled in San Francisco to practice law. He dropped from sight for more than a decade and was given up for dead, again, believed to have been killed in combat in World War I. Actually, he basically assumed another name. So he pulled a little Don Draper action here, which, I mean, in the 1900s, like you could just like, hey, no, that's, that's not me. Like nobody has a photograph of me. You can just, just do another identity, which is, it's very tempting uh, to do that. But there's, there's kind of no way you can do that nowadays. His other name was Charlie J. Mitchell, uh, his, his mother's family name. He traveled to the Northwest, settled with his new identity, the life of a lumberman in a small Oregon town. So he basically disappeared to Oregon just to be a lumberman, just to get away from the, the kangaroo kicker fame that was just following him everywhere he went. 15 years later, in 1934, he was recognized working in an obscure lumber company in Westwood, California. So they found him in California, recognized 15 years later, he's just chopping some wood with a lumber company. Somebody recognized him like, you're the kangaroo kicker. I'm, I'm just trying to picture how they find him like, you're the dude that can kick the ball. They hit that drop kick in 1898. Just like, I mean, just imagining being in a bar or like just wandering through like a, a small town Walmart or something and just spotting a, a famous football player from like the, the 1980s. Like, oh my God, you're this guy that ran for like 200 yards against whatever team. But yeah, this happened in 1934, which is, he got spotted. He got found out in a lumber yard in Westwood, California. Another thing here is he had had married at the time underneath his name, Charles Mitchell. And he basically is this lumber, just a simple lumberman in Oregon and, and working on a lumber yard in Westwood, California. Once his identity was was found out, and of course they're like, the kangaroo kicker's alive, the kangaroo kicker's alive. The, the word went out of Hall 1934, the kangaroo kicker lives. They asked his wife if, if she knew and if she knew his real name was, was, was Pat O'Day, she didn't know. He didn't even tell his wife, man. He married. He couldn't trust his wife with the kangaroo kicker secret. He couldn't do it. Um, his wife, just totally surprised to learn his, his true name. Mr. O'Day was quoted as saying that he disappeared because he had found his football fame career was a handicap in his lumber career. Like this dude just wanted to chop some wood but his name as the kangaroo kicker would not would not allow him to just chop wood in peace. This man wanted to go live in the mountains and just chop down some trees, but he couldn't because he was too too famous of a punter to do that, which is incredible. So after uh, he he was found out in California, Wisconsin found him. Uh, they got him to return to homecoming. Uh, in 1934, uh, O'Day initially resisted, 
you know, but he eventually confessed his identity. Also told his his wife his real name. I, I still can't, baby. I'm I'm the I'm the kangaroo kicker. I just I just I just couldn't deal with it. And then I wonder if his wife, you know, was like, "Oh my God, you're the kangaroo kicker, really? I married the kangaroo kicker," or like, or just like just stunned silence. Like, who, who is that? I. I I wish I could interview these folks, but unfortunately they are passed away. Uh, when the news broke, most people were, were skeptical, including his brother, Andy. Uh, eventually O'Day convinced the world. He was in fact, the kangaroo kicker and various groups in Madison reached out to invite him to Wisconsin. So the, like people were saying he's the kangaroo kicker. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm the kangaroo kicker. And then people were just like, are you sure? We don't really believe you. So, so he had to convince everybody. I, I, okay. I, 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 I'm the king. I'll show you that I am. So he declined all these invites until, you know, 1934. He came to the uh, Wisconsin homecoming. He returned in a flurry of fanfare to watch the Badgers beat Illinois. After the event, O'Day went back to California, but he maintained a, a closer connection with uh, Wisconsin and the college football community. He became active in the alumni relations on the West Coast, and he visited Madison uh, several more times. Uh, in in 19. 19- 62 at age 90. He was named to the uh, National uh, Football Foundation College Hall of Fame. And then he, and then, you know, the next day he, he passed away. So just an incredible, ridiculous story. He received get well messages from, from President John F. Kennedy and in his obituary in the New York Times, they commented on his kicking achievements, including, including that 110 yard punt. Um, though against Minnesota in 1897 and not Yale in 1899. And then, of course, the infamous Thanksgiving field goal by the kangaroo kicker against Northwestern in 1898. It's just incredible that he got inducted to the Hall of Fame and then then passed away the very next um, year. Uh, he, he appeared on a, a couple of different Bob Hope's All-American football team announcement shows. Uh, and, you know, once he... he came back out of hiding. Um, just just an incredible story. Just, I mean, Australian punters have, have, have essentially always been a part of our game. They are more prevalent nowadays, but the kangaroo kicker was the original and, and one should be celebrated even though he tried to hide his identity and just wanted to chop some wood. So, I mean, I'm sure all of us, I, I can relate to that. I just want to go out to you know, the woods around Idaho or something and just just go chop some wood and be at peace, hide, hide from just normal everyday living. So again, he got to do it for many years, but maybe, yeah, maybe one day I'll go chop some wood or something like that too, but that'd be great. But as for now, I really enjoy being the commissioner of the Sickos Committee. <laughs> Thank you so much for your patronage and listening to Commission's Corner. And we appreciate the, the the membership chatting with Discord. We hope you enjoy all the the stuff on our Substack that you we provide for you, and and just looking forward to enjoying the rest of the season. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day.